in Hickory, North Carolina, which is in the moving towards the western part of the state. Uh, just in December, they dedicated this new $14.5 million city walk, which they've been working to renew and enhance their, their downtown. And the, the focal point of this uh, renovation project was this 40-ton wooden arch that went over a portion of this, uh, this walkway and a bridge that they were that they have in this walking path. Uh, it cost uh, $750,000, this arch did. And, uh, at the, the dedication, the mayor said uh, that this was uh, uh, something that they hoped and knew would, would last forever in Hickory. You see, the, the engineer designers, as they had worked and designed this arch, I think that was their hope as well. Um, it was rated to withstand 100 mile per hour winds, which in the western part of the state doesn't happen much. The only thing is, is that just less than a month ago, storm came through, 30 mile per hour winds came through Hickory, and the entire thing collapsed. It all fell down. $750,000, something that they anticipated and hoped would last forever, crumbled. Now, what is going to be important over these next weeks and months uh, as they investigate what caused this collapse is that they find out what, what were the factors that the, the flaws and what, what occurred in its, in its construction and what went on so that when they go to rebuild this, because it is under warranty, uh, um, that it doesn't happen again. That, that this investigation into this collapse would lead to information and guidance so that not just the engineers and those who construct this the next time, or for other, but also people in the future would learn from this and not repeat these mistakes so that no more collapses like this would occur. This morning, as we are continuing our way through the book of 1 Samuel, we are going to see a collapse of a different kind. Not a wooden arch, but it is a collapse of covenant faithfulness among the people of God. Uh, what we want to do is to investigate and look at this collapse and see what factors contributed to the collapse of this faithfulness among God's people so that we today can learn from these mistakes and in our time and moving forward, would not see this same type of collapse in our own lives or the life of our church. Remember where we left off last week, although it was only one chapter in the book, uh, Samuel had led the people in renewal and repentance and revival as they, they experienced grief over their sin, turning from their sin, turning to their God, 
hoping, depending, and focusing on remembering his faithfulness. This happened early. Chapter 7 happened early in Samuel's ministry as a young man. Now, as we begin chapter 8 this morning, we're going to see that he's old. Uh, A lot of time has passed. And so we want to look and see the factors that are contributing to this collapse of covenant faithfulness that we as God's people may learn. So if you would, look with me. We're in uh, chapter 8 of the book of 1 Samuel. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 230. We're going to look at the whole whole chapter this morning, so please follow along with me in your copy there of God's Word. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, the name of his second, uh, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the, but the thing displeased Samuel. When they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of Yahweh to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, to come to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But Yahweh will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, no, but there shall be a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go, every man to his city. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given 
your word for the instruction and discipline and transforming of your people. We ask that you would accomplish your purposes through your word this morning. Uh, We pray uh, that we would learn what you would have us learn from this passage, that we would always walk faithfully before you, our God and our King. In Christ's name, amen. So what we want to do in, in our investigation of this collapse is to determine what the factors were that contributed to this, this failure. And the first that we see, the first factor that contributed to this collapse of covenant faithfulness was that the people of Israel were focusing on the sins of others and ignoring their own. So that's the first factor, focusing on the sins of others while ignoring their own. Look in verses 1 through 5. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. He gives their names, Joel and Abijah, who were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you're old. And your sons do not walk in our way in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Here we see evidence in the life of, of Samuel. Failure on his part, sin of his own and, and his sons. Does this not sound very similar to what was going on with Eli? It, it's as if uh, there were many ways in which uh, Samuel expi- uh, benefited uh, from the renewed focus of discipleship from Eli during his time with him, but as how to be a father, how to be a parent, how to exercise uh, discipline and correction did not seem to, to come through. And so not only do we see a, a failure on Samuel's part, but also on his son's parts, who it says are not Samuel, but his sons are perverting justice. They're taking bribes. They are after gain in their role as judges in Israel. This is sin. It's it's apparent. This isn't God's design and intention for his covenant leaders, nor for anyone to act and live like this. Uh, And and notice, as, as the people address and bring before Samuel why they want another king and they're a king and they're asking for it the issue that they present is a focus on his sin his limitations and the, his failures and the failures of his sons it's because you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways they're focused on the sin of others but notice the God who, who knows hearts. The God who can perceive and see the motives of people and look and know authoritatively and perfectly behind the words. Notice what he says to Samuel. The thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they've not rejected you, 
but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are also doing to you. Here, God is drawing the focus. Whereas the people are focused on the sin of, of, of Samuel, focused on the sin of others, they've ignored the sin that's deep in their own hearts. Notice what God is saying is true of them. They are rejecting him as their king. That's the true motive. Samuel's sin and the sins of his sons are an excuse. An opportunity for them to pursue after what they want flowing out of their hearts. They're operating according to uh, their own deeds. They're forsaking Samuel. They're forsaking God. And they're serving other gods. And they're doing and treating Samuel the same way they are treating the God of Israel. Uh, here we see this factor that can lead to collapse of covenant faithfulness. Did Jesus not teach and say the, the same thing? Remember what Jesus says. Get the log out of your own eye before you attempt to get a speck out of somebody else's. What? If I come over here, I'm trying to... Oh, you got you got a little eyelash right there. What's going to happen? I'm not going to be beneficial. In fact, I'll probably hurt her or myself. Jesus is saying, do you not understand? As you look and see the sin and failures and struggles and the, the, the lives of other people, that if you're honest about your own heart, what you would realize and see is that your sin is far, far greater than you realize, than you know, even then of theirs. Think about what this, this means as we, we think about sin in our own lives, seeing the sin of other people, to think that, that what this may mean, the way that we address and get around this contribution to this failure, this factor that could lead to it, is that we need to know our own hearts. We need to be aware of and seek out and see where we are sinning and where we are failing. And if you're like me, you're blind to it many times. So what do you have to do? We have to pray what could potentially be a very scary prayer. God, show me my sin. This person has just brought something up. They've offended and they, they've sinned against me. Is there anything in my own life right now, the way that I've responded to them, how I'm reacting now? How is my sin contributing to what's going on? Why am I responding this way? Would you please reveal in me the secret sins of my own heart, what I can't see? 
person. This person has brought up a way that I've wronged them. The first thing I want to do is justify myself. The first thing I want to do is point out and show why they were wrong. Lord, please help me not to respond that way. Help me not to be surprised when I, re- when I see or other people point out sin in my own life. Would I not be so focused on the sin of others that I miss the, my own sin? Why as God's people would we be able to pray a prayer like, God, show me my sin? Because really it's something that as those who have been saved and redeemed and delivered by the blood of Christ, we shouldn't fear that prayer. We shouldn't fear coming before our God and saying, will you please show me my sin? Why? Because of the perfect sacrifice of Christ for you. What it means is that every sin that you find, every sin that God reveals to you, He will pronounce and communicate, you're forgiven. Oh, that there? Yeah, that's serious. That's a big deal. But my blood paid for that. That is forgiven. I absorbed and took the wrath and punishment that you deserved. You are forgiven. Oh, that? My blood's sufficient for that. Oh, that too? You didn't realize that is how selfish you were? You didn't realize the depths of your, your, your anger and your pride? I knew it the whole time. And I loved you. And I died for you. You see, the, the motive... What empowers us to avoid this factor, to avoid this destruction, is the gospel. Because in Christ we find forgiveness. It provides us with an opportunity to celebrate Jesus even more. To be able to extend forgiveness to other people. And to see our Christ glorified. If, if we ignore this factor, it'll be to our own danger. It will endanger our walk with the Lord and the health of our church if we focus on the sins of others while ignoring our own sins. Well, the gospel brings healing and boldness to address this problem so that we too do not experience collapse. Our investigation so far has shown us that one of the contributing factors to a collapse of covenant faithfulness is focusing on the sin of others while ignoring your own. But there's another one that we encounter here in this passage. And that is this, focusing on what you want to hear from Scripture what you want to hear from the Word of God while ignoring the warnings, while ignoring the hard and difficult passages. Notice how that comes up here. Look back over in verse 5. And they said to him, Behold, you're old, your sons don't walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. There's nothing wrong with that request in and of itself. 
In fact, that, that statement is drawn from Deuteronomy chapter 17. Apparently, they've been listening to Deuteronomy, listening to what the Word of God says, finding an opportunity to apply and use this verse in their, in their lives. Look over in chapter 17 of Deuteronomy, verses 14 and 15. When you come to the land that Yahweh your God has given you and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you. Well, it's there. The word of God says this. Let's do it. But the problem is, the people are only hearing what they want to hear. They stop there. God's word says we can set a king over us, so we're going to do it. But they didn't follow through with reading the rest of the context, listening to what the rest of the scripture says. For it continues and goes on. You may set a king over you whom Yahweh your God chooses. One from among your brothers. You shall set a king over you. Uh, you may not put a foreigner over you who's not your brother. He must not require many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses, since Yahweh has said to you, you shall never return this way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart be turned away, nor will he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may fear Yahweh his God by keeping all the words of the law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. They didn't continue on. They only wanted to focus on what they wanted to hear, and you see the same thing happening uh, as, it, as it continues on. Uh, notice, Samuel comes and he warns them of the danger of choosing a king for themselves. A danger of ignoring these warnings. A danger of only focusing on what they want to hear. Look in verse 9. Now then, obey their voice, Yahweh says to Samuel. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them the kind of king that they're wanting. Because that's actually what it tells us in verse 18. Uh, in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. Listen to what Samuel, how he warns them. So Samuel told all the words of Yahweh to the people who were asking for a king from him. These will be the ways of the king who will reign over you, the one that you're choosing for yourself. Listen to the, the difference in the qualities. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and come to plow the ground and to reap the harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipments of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give it to his officers. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. 
He will take a tenth of your flocks and shall be his slaves. And in that day you are going to cry out. Remember their complaint? Their complaint against Samuel is because of his sons? This same language of taking comes up in the description of how Samuel's sons were operating. In verse uh, 3, they took bribes. It was all a big deal when Samuel's sons were doing it. But when they want what they want, and they're ignoring this king, Samuel's telling them, look, he's going to take, 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 take. Do they hear the warnings? Do they listen to God's instruction? Because this is God speaking to his people through his prophet. He's already spoken through Moses in Deuteronomy, but they turn a deaf ear to it. And listen to their response in this warning when they're told and warned against choosing a king for themselves. In verse 19, But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. They said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like the other nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles You see what's driving their heart? Also, what they're ignoring is they're calling. They want to hear what they want to hear, ignoring the warnings and ignoring the privilege that they have as the people of God. They want to be like the other nations. It's not just that we want a king like the other nations have a king. They want to be like the nations. Who have they been redeemed and saved to be? Different. Holy, distinct, set apart. You're not supposed to be like the nations, look like them, live like them, act like them. You're going to reflect the glory and honor of your creator, of your savior, and your redeemer. When you begin to ignore the warnings of scripture, focusing just on what you want to hear, this will contribute to the collapse of covenant faithfulness. We must listen to God's prophets. We must listen to all of the scriptures and apply them to our hearts. This is hard to do. Many times a day, do we not struggle with the same things? To listen and focus only on what we want to hear while ignoring the rest of it? Think, God's a God of love. We focus on that while ignoring the call that sometimes what it looks like to love is to communicate the hard and difficult truths of God's word to those who are straying, to those who are struggling, or to ourselves when we're pursuing rebellion. Or to think about the scriptures and the passages that talk about prosperity and blessing. We want to focus on those while ignoring the passages of Scripture that call us to generosity, to self-sacrifice, to suffering and persecution. Pastors can focus wrongly on the verses of Scripture that say the laborer deserves their wages. Those who rule well are worthy of double honor while ignoring the passages that, that, that warn against Seeking gain and greed and profit 
from shepherding and guarding the people of God. As, as members of churches, we can focus on the truth that says that Jesus is King and Lord of the church while ignoring the passages of Scripture that focus on saying that we're called to submit to the leaders that he has set up over his church. We may focus on and, and, and be quick to hear passages that, focus, that talk about liberty of conscience while ignoring passages of Scripture that call us to submit to our authorities in the world and in the, the church. Or, or, or think about passages of Scripture that, that would talk about and say that, they're, they're, that divorce is allowed in the context of marriages while ignoring the passages of Scripture that talk about only in specific and particular instances because really what we're driving at is just to get what we want and get out of this marriage that's difficult and hard. Jesus says, do not do this. Remember, was this not how he was, why he was warning the Pharisees? Isn't this not the instructions that he gave his disciples to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to do all that I have commanded? It is a privilege as the people of God to follow and have and listen to the words of our king. Here, the people of Israel said, we're more than happy to focus on the, the, the sections of Scripture that, that just continue to tell us what we, we think we want and encourage us and, and find support to do what we want to do. And we're going to ignore the passages of Scripture that challenge that and push back. If we want to walk in covenant faithfulness, submitting, trusting, and walking with our God, we must see this factor that could contribute to the collapse of covenant faithfulness by focusing just on what we want to hear in God's Word and ignoring the difficult and hard passages. Lastly, we see a, a final factor in this passage is focusing on false saviors while ignoring the sufficiency of God. Look at back in verse 19 and 20. The people refused to obey the voice of Samuel and they said, no. He just says this and then they yell back in his face. I don't care what you're saying. We're going to do what we want to do. We will have a king that we choose. Why do they want this king? Look at what they say. That we may also be like the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Go out before you and fight your battles. What has God been doing this whole time? The whole time. Notice what he, God even said this to Samuel back over in verse 8. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day. From the day, who? Who brought you up out of Egypt? God brought you up out of Egypt. He delivered you with his strong hand and his outstretched arm. 
Remember the rock that Samuel put up that was to remind us till now. Till now, God has been our help. What happened when the Philistines were coming after them? God thundered with a mighty thunder and defeated them. God's hand was heavy against the Philistines. Why have they had peace up to this point? Remember what we saw last week? It's because God has been at work. They regained their cities. They were at peace from among the Amorites. But you see, there's something interesting about this. As they begin to think back, but, but what about those times when we struggled? We weren't always victorious. I mean, look around. We face danger in the future because we're not amassing a big army like these other kings and nations. We don't have the chariots, the military skills. We, we're in danger. We need a king who will lead us. We need to hope in a change in this political situation and military situation so that we have someone and something we can depend on. But do you remember why they struggled? Why the Philistines had overcome them? It wasn't because God was insufficient. It's because of their sin. Yet here, they don't want to hear it. Everything that they're longing for, everything that they're hoping for, everything that they're looking and seeing in these false saviors, they already have in their covenant God. The whole time he's been with them, the whole time he's gone out before them, the whole time he has battled on their behalf. What about you? What about me? It's easy to see the foolishness of Israel. We need to be very careful that we don't fall into factor one and focus on their sin so much that we miss out on our own. What is it in your life right now that you see your heart going to over and over, thinking, if I only had blank, my life would be so much better. Things would be so much easier. God plus something is a rejection of God as your king. It's focusing on false saviors while ignoring the perfect, complete, sufficient savior that you have. How do we know he's sufficient? Do we not have so much more to see of his character and his provision past this? Not just Egypt, not just the Philistines, not just the Canaanites, not just the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Romans or the Greeks, the Persians, the Medes. Our God has defeated sin. He's conquered Satan. He's defeated death because the true and sufficient King and Savior has come. He didn't just die. He rose. The sufficient one. 
There's nothing that any other false savior offers and tempts you with that you do not already have in Jesus. We need eyes to see this. We need to remember and hope and trust in our all-sufficient Savior and Redeemer. So, through our investigation, we've seen these factors that have contributed to this failure of covenant faithfulness. Focusing on the sin of others while ignoring your own. Focusing just on what you want to hear from Scripture while ignoring the warnings and the difficult parts. And focusing on false saviors while ignoring the sufficiency of our God. May it be the beauty of the gospel and the sufficiency of Christ that calls us to walk a lifetime of faithfulness before our God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace to us, your people. Uh, We pray uh, that as we look at this investigation in your, in your word, uh, that you would point us again and again to Christ, our Deliverer, our Savior, our King. May we flee to Him. May we hope in Him. May we not experience covenant collapse because of the faithfulness of our covenant God and King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.